Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast podcast. We want to extend an invitation to sit in live with us during our weekend service. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message inspires you, but also challenges you in your walk with God. For more information, visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Now here's Pastor Marco with an encouraging word. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to talk to you about spiritual warfare today. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not sure if you caught on yet, but you are in the middle of a war. This war has been going on for a long time. And it's not like an option. It's not like, I don't want to fight. Too late. You are in the middle of a war. You were born into a war that's been going on for ages. Now, you can choose to fight or you can choose to quit, but I don't believe God created quitters. I don't believe God created wimps. This thing is not for the faint of heart. It takes some fight. Can you say amen? Amen. Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 10. The Bible says this. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You're not fighting your neighbor or your boss. There's evil forces around. Say amen. (laughs) Some of y'all are mad at your boss. Don't want to go to work tomorrow. (laughs) For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I'm going to stop there, but we're going to come back to this. So you you might want to leave your Bible open there. But sometimes the Bible reads like a sci-fi book. When you read something like that, there's got to be part of you that's like, come on, really? Spiritual warfare, demons, you know, battles unseen. Come on, is that stuff really for real? This is why the Bible is so antiquated, so old school. We've moved on. We have Wi-Fi. (laughs) We have Facebook. Come on, this stuff is old. But is it really? Because I think if you look around, it's pretty obvious that things are not what they seem. I think all of us, it doesn't take much to realize that there's more than meets the eye. If you don't believe me, just go home and put on the news. Wars everywhere, racism. We, 2018, you would think there would be no more racism. Corruption, you don't know what politician to trust. Drug abuse is on a rampage. All of us probably have been affected by drug abuse some way or another. You have someone that you know who has been affected by it. Broken families everywhere. Broken people everywhere. Poverty. Sexual scandals in the church, outside the church, everywhere. Suicide rate, violence. And you got to ask yourself the question, is this all normal? Is this all part of the plan? And then you got to ask yourself another question. Why is it so much harder to do the right things? Why is it every time the right things feels like an uphill battle? Why, Why is it that every time... I step out to do something good, something 
wrong happens. Y'all ain't living life? Why is it that so much easier to do unhealthy things? Like, I want to lose weight, but I can't stop eating ice cream. That's not the devil, that's just you. I just tricked you. <laughs> you know, it's a heavy topic. I got to find ways to bring some, you know, light moments to this. But we live in a fallen world. And it's filled with evil spirits. And it's all around us. And it's also in us. We are in a spiritual warfare, my friends. And before I go any further, I always like to caution you about the extremes of this topic. Because there's, there's extremes. There's one extreme where people say there's no such thing as evil. And I'm like, do you live under a rock? To not realize that there's evils everywhere. Some people said, no, all we need is the right environment and then we'll be fine. But then when you look at it, there's people with all the right environments that are still not fine. Like, the drug epidemic doesn't discriminate your neighborhood. It doesn't discriminate your education. It doesn't discriminate your race. Right? Violence everywhere. Sometimes in neighborhoods that you're like, how can this happen? So there's a side of society that wants to ignore all the symptoms. Not just outside of you, but inside of you. Right? And that's an extreme to think that there's no such thing as evil. We just need the right environment to thrive. Right? If I just get in the right neighborhood. But then sometimes you get in the right neighborhood, but you're still struggling with depression. Come on. Come on. You're still struggling with suicide thoughts. And you've got to oh, wonder, where does this thing come from? Right? That's one side of it. People say there's no such thing. And then you got the other side. The other extreme side is everything is of the devil. There's some people, I like to call these people the, my mama said, people. You ever watch Waterboy? My mama said, foosball is of the devil. Everything. Like some people see the devil in everything, and that's scary to me. Right? It's just scary. So, so before we go any further, I want you to know there's this, this two extremes our goal is to find the third option, which is the better option. What does the Bible have to say? Right? Because I can't rely on just my feelings. And I can't rely on over-the-top spiritual religious people. <laughs> I need to know what does the Bible have to say about spiritual warfare. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about it. Matter of fact, three chapters into the Bible, we are introduced to evil. Right? But the thing is, we're not introduced to evil the way that a lot of people believe evil is. The caricature of evil, like some guy in red tights with pitchfork. <laughs> no, he's way more clever than that. He's way more subtle than that. Well, the Bible introduces to him in chapter 3 of Genesis, where Adam and Eve was given this beautiful place, a garden, a paradise. And they were given one command to not touch a certain tree. And this evil came and said, did God really say that, though? Because the enemy never comes and says, I'm here to ruin your life. He always presents an option that sounds to be better than God's option for your life. He's like, God's holding you back on you guys. Come on. Which is funny because if you think about it, again, from a logical perspective, God gave him a garden, which this garden was as big as a country. 
But there was one tree that God says, that's a test. Can you trust me not to touch that? Can you imagine being given a country, but you can't touch one tree and think God's still holding out on me? <laughs> it's pretty funny when we think about it, the things we fall into when we're blind to the fact that God is for us. And so he, he's very subtle. By the way, he can't make you do anything. He can only suggest it to you. So when you see people say, the devil made me do it, no, he didn't. He just has suggestions. It's up to you to buy into the suggestion because you have a thing that God gave you called free will where you can actually do that or you can do something else. And so they decided, yeah, you know what? It would be great to be just like God because that's what he said. You'll be just like God. That's what he's holding out on you. So we introduced the evil in a very subtle way because evil is not going to say I'm here to ruin your life. But we know after that one decision, all hell broke loose. Because that was the beginning of the end. Right? And so this evil is very real. We live, my friends, I want you to know that right now we live behind enemy line. I, I hope you understand we're not in a playground. We're in a battleground. I tell people all the time, Christianity is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. That's why people get disappointed. They're like... I thought, you know, everything's going to be all great since I gave my life to Jesus. No. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, you were awoken to the reality of an earth that's in war. And if you don't understand that, then you'll be disappointed. And you will go back. Because the goal of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God is trying to build in you. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundant. So there's this tension going on in the world as we speak. It goes on inside of you and it goes around you all the time. He can't make you do anything, but he can surely be persuasive. So Jesus comes on a rescue mission. The goal of Jesus, I hope you understand this, because a lot of times people get the gospel incomplete. Jesus didn't just come to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy from your life. He came to set you free. Can I prove it to you? Look, here's what the scripture says. The scripture says this. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. Who has been sinning since the beginning. But the son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. That's the goal of Christianity. It's not just to forgive you of your sins. It's to empower you to live above the level of sin and mediocrity. To live this battle with a victorious mindset. So we're not defeated. We are victorious in the middle of the war. Even when he looks like you're losing, Jesus says, I came to destroy those things. Can you say amen? This is not a playground. It's a battleground. It's preparation for eternity that we're in. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, in any war, you have to be aware of your enemy's strategies. No one goes to war without first studying the enemy. It's important that you know your opponent. Because if you don't know your opponent, you don't know what you're fighting. That's why people are swinging everywhere and and not getting anything. You ever see people fight all the wrong battles? Because you're like, you don't know the enemy. Your wife is not your enemy. Your husband is not your enemy. 
Your kids are not your enemy. I, I, I joked about it, but your boss is not your enemy. He might be fighting his own stuff, and he doesn't know how to deal with it. He throws up on you. I'm just being honest. Everybody's fighting a battle. And so people don't know how to fight the battle, so what they do is they'll just swing at anything in front of them. I'm just, I got to find somebody. You ever seen on Facebook people just like, ah, I got to rent a somebody. Someone's got to listen to what I'm going through. It's critical that you know the tactics of the enemy. So you know what you're fighting. And this is what I want to do today. I want to equip us to fight this battle. Can you say amen? amen. So I want to show you the subtle tactics of the enemy. Like I said, he doesn't show up and say, hey, I'm here to ruin your life. He entices you to lure you away from God's will. Especially when you've said yes to Jesus. Listen, if you're not going through a warfare, it's because he already has you. Like some people, like, they never go through anything. It's like, that's because you already belong. He's like, you're not a threat. So let me compliment you today. If you're going through some stuff, you might be a threat to the enemy this morning. So you better embrace that. Right? Because, you know, so when you say yes to Jesus, all hell breaks loose. You should be grateful that you have been awoken to a greater reality than most people who just walk through life through a slumber. And just think, it is what it is. So, if you're taking notes, I hope you are, because you need to digest this stuff. You have to wrestle with this stuff. And you have to see it. You have to pinpoint it, because he's a clever enemy. He studies you. So, if the enemy studies you, you should study your enemy, too. You should know what you're getting yourself into. So, I'm going to give you four tactics of the enemy today. And we're going to talk about each one of them. Here are the four things. Again, there's more, but I'm just, just warming you up with four. Isolation. Quick fixes, busyness, and numbness are four strategies of the enemy. You can leave that up there as I walk you through this. Isolation is one of the number one ways the enemy tries to lure you away from God's will. In war, the first thing that they usually do is to cut the line of communication from their opponent. When we went to Iraq, remember what they call that mission, they call the shock and awe. They said, we're going to go in, we're going to go really hard, we're going to bomb them like crazy to the point of shocking them so that we can paralyze them. And what they target is all the lines of communication. So like that, the enemy will be in the dark, not knowing what's going on in the outside world. The enemy will love to do that with you. Isolate you from God and isolate you from God's people. And so you got to discern that and say, wait a minute. Why all of a sudden am I not wanting to pray? Because prayer is your number line of communication with God. If, you can keep, if he can keep you from praying, he can keep you from God. And that's why the first thing he tries to take away from you is, why bother praying? The second thing he always tries to do is to cut you away from God's people. Why bother go to church? It's not working. What's the point? Why don't you just stay home? It might as well. Again, he's not going to tell you I'm here to ruin your life. Right. Stop praying so you don't get to talk to God. Stop hanging out with God's people because there's strength in numbers. Right. Right. Right? You got to discern the voice of the enemy. Because usually when you cut away the line of communication, you're communicating with something else. You begin to have more conversations with your depression. You begin to talk like a victim. 
you begin to agree with what he's telling you. You're right. No one cares about me. It's me against the world. Come on. Are you tracking? These are not just your voices. This is someone trying to entice you, lure you into a life of defeat. The second thing is quick fixes. Because usually when I'm isolated, I'm looking for quick fixes. Why do people become drug addicts? Quick fixes. We say, I just need a break. And that voice says, yeah, you just need a break. Why do people have affairs? Quick fixes. Oh, y'all ain't going to talk to me today. <laughs> Quick fixes. You haven't been working on your marriage, so that looks, that looks easy. But how many know, how many, whatever looks easy, it's always a dead-end street. There's always a price to be paid with that. You can make that quick money, but no one tells you that quick money could be five to ten years in jail. Right? Quick fixes that leads to dead-end streets. Busyness is another one. Like, people don't realize that the more busy you are, the less time you take in inventory of your life. So he wants to keep you busy. He wants you to work 80, 100 hours a week and call it serving your family. But in the meantime, your family misses you. The people that you're working for are missing you. And then we get angry because we say, I'm doing it for you. It's like maybe you're not doing it for them. Maybe you've been caught up in a busyness. And we, sometimes we look at busyness as a badge of honor. Busyness is not a badge of honor. Because God says to rest. Because when you rest, you know where your blessings are coming from. So I've been telling my leaders, I don't want people to tell me I'm busy. I don't want to hear it. So I don't want to buy into that, yeah, I'm a busy pastor, look at me. In the meantime, my soul is hurting. My family is hurting. And the things that, that matters... I put him by the wayside. Yeah, but who's going to work? I don't know. But I trust God that if I do my part, he's going to do his part. I don't have to try to be God and, and, and do all of it. Isn't it interesting? It's when you're doing really well that all of a sudden an opportunity comes for you to work on Sundays. Have you ever discerned through that and say, wait a minute, wait. The moment I said yes to Jesus and I'm going to go all in now, all of a sudden, overtime. I don't know about you. But some overtimes are not worth it. Some overtimes are just not worth it. Numbness. My goodness, pay attention to this one. If he can numb you, he can make you desensitized to sin. And you become, you become part of the problem instead of becoming part of the solution. I believe this. One of the greatest tools of the enemy right now is entertainment. You know how many hours we spend just scrolling through our phone, becoming numb to everything we're seeing? You know how many hours we spend on binging on Netflix, where we can be spending time in the Word of God and renewing our minds and learning the will of God and learning to be the people of God? See, the thing is, everybody has good intentions, but good intentions are not good enough. I could want to be a doctor all day long in my mind. But if I never educate myself to become a doctor, I'm just a doctor in my mind. That's the enemy has done with us. He'll say, yeah, in your mind, you want to be a great Christian, but you're not educating yourself to become a great Christian by being the word of God. How are you ever going to be everything that God created you to be? He's numbing your mind. 
He knows you're not a threat if your mind is numb. Well, you don't even discern what's good and what's bad. We'll watch anything. We'll listen to anything. But not realizing that all that stuff is numbing us. It's like the frog in the pan who gets used to the temperature in the water, but not realizing that he's killing himself softly. Are you paying attention? There's a warfare going on. You're either going to win this thing or you're just going to be another victim. Pay attention to these tactics of the enemy. I guarantee you he's using one of them in your life right now. I don't have to know you to know that he's working on your life right now. Just the way God's working on your life, the enemy is trying to work on your life. It's up to you which one you're going to let feed you. Can you say amen? So what should be our response? Again, I want to help us. I want to help us grow in this thing. The scripture tells us this, that we can fight back. We're not victims. God has given us tools to fight back. Watch this. The Bible says we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. In other words, we don't just go out ranting and kicking and screaming and fighting anybody. That's just the world. That's how the world fights. Like some dudes, for example, they want to beat you up physically, but they don't put up a fight for their kids or for their marriages. It's like stop flexing in the physical. You need to flex in the spirit. You need to, you need to flex for the things that matter. So what's the point? Okay, you beat somebody up, great. We're back to eighth grade. Watch this. Not worldly weapons. To knock down the strongholds. Oh, you want to circle that word. The strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. I told you, just because you're sincere doesn't mean you're right. So funny. People think, I'm just being honest. Yeah, you can be honest and wrong. <laughs> you can be sincerely wrong. Right? We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Did you catch that? You, we capture the rebellious thoughts. You know what, what that word rebellious thoughts, capturing, is like putting someone on handcuffs. He's saying, if you're going to fight this fight, you better stop putting some of your thoughts on handcuffs. Because not every thought is from God. Not every feeling is from God. There are some things you need to be like, uh-uh, we're going to jail. There's some things in your mind you need to arrest. <laughs> Y'all ain't going to. Tr- There's some things in your mind you don't run with. You arrest them in Jesus' name. Because you have the power and the authority to arrest. See, see, you can't help a thought from coming to your head, but you don't have to dwell on it. If a bird flies over your head, that's what the bird does. But if the bird sits on your head and builds a nest, that's on you. I don't know. He just sat here, stopped building. Each day, he kept building. It is what it is. I mean, it, it is what it is. Bird in my head, it is what it is. That's what we do with some thoughts. It is what it is. I'm just angry. It is what it is. I'm just depressed. It is what it is. Uh, I'm just, I'm just uh, pessimistic. It is what it is. It's the way I was created. No, you weren't created that way. There's an enemy trying to plant seeds in your mind and heart. You got to arrest those things. We need, my friends, write this down. We need discernment. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit that no one prays about. Everybody wants to speak in tongues. You can speak in tongues all day long, but if you don't have discernment, you won't know right from left. 
you won't know that a good intention is not good enough. You won't know that it's not just a thought that counts. You won't know just because you showed up to church doesn't mean you get a brownie. <laughs> you need the sermon. What is the sermon? The sermon is the spirit ability in you to, to help you discern, like, what is, is this right? Is this, is this God? The sermon helps you ask some questions, like, is this voice from God? Is this move going to bless me long haul, not temporary? The sermon will help you ask this question. Is this person legit? I know she looked good, but is she legit? Y'all ain't going to talk to me today. Some things look good in the surface. But you start scooping. You might find some poop <laughs> underneath. I just want to put it blunt. I just want to put it blunt. Let's just, you know... I pray and I say, Holy Spirit, help me, help me, help me stay civilized. You need discernment. Watch this. The Bible says this in Hosea. It says, let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. It's discernment. I believe this. When you're talking to someone, there's always two conversations happening. What the person is saying and what the spirit is saying. I've had people to my face, praise the Lord, pastor, hallelujah. But in my spirit, I'm like, that's a snake. That's a wolf in sheep's clothing. If you don't discern, you just go with anything. Just a word of advice. Anytime someone over compliments you, red flag. Why are you always over-complimenting me, though? Everybody needs compliments, don't get me wrong. But over-compliment? I usually get weird. Ugh, I can't, you know, you know the, the things in your stomach? Pay attention to that stuff. I think it's the Holy Spirit going, like, I feel weird. I embrace the butterflies. It's like, yo, son, trying to tell me something. You know, not everything is of the devil, but I'm also not going to ignore some subtle things. That's happening around me. Jesus had an interesting conversation with Peter. You know Peter, the most loud mouth of the disciples, always ready to speak his mind, right? Jesus had this powerful conversation with Peter. In one conversation, two things happened. Blew my mind. One conversation, right? Jesus had asked the disciples, hey, who do you think I am? And people like, yeah, some people think you're a great teacher. Some people think you're a prophet. Peter was like, you're the son of the living God. Jesus is like, man, that's awesome. That's revelation. You understand who I am. Like, the Spirit gave you that. So after that, Jesus is like, here's what's going to happen, guys. In a few days, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm not coming back. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. That's the path that God has chosen for me. Same conversation. Peter's going, no, you can't do that. That's crazy. Like, we have a thing going here. You can't go do that. Right? What do you think Peter said back? This is good intentions of Peter. He's being a good friend. I don't want you to die. What does Jesus say back to him? Watch this. He said, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. There are some people with good intentions, but that doesn't mean they're hearing from God. And sometimes these are people close to you. 
Peter was one of the closest disciples of Jesus. Peter, Jesus is not talking to Peter. He's talking to the spirit that's trying to use Peter to lure him away from God's will. My good, I'm teaching good. It's people next to you that the enemy will say something like, come on, man. It's not that serious. You have to be that, so much into church. Come on, man. Why are you all of a sudden you're a fanatic? Come on. Man, you need to discern and say, whoa, wait a minute. That's not my friend talking. My friend might be used by other things here trying to lure me away from God's will and purpose for my life. And you don't have to say it out loud, but you can say it in your spirit. Get behind me, Satan. Come on, y'all got to talk to me. Because all you're seeing is, you're just seeing a human point of view on this. But God had a plan. Jesus had to go to the cross. If he didn't go to the cross, we wouldn't be here. So the enemy knew, like, can I, can I make him sh- go to a shortcut? Quick fixes. Always looking for a way. Hey, you don't have to wait till you get married. You're already in love. That's a shortcut. Why? Because you never ask God's blessing to say, Lord, we're here. As for me and my house, we're going to serve you. When I say I do, I'm not saying I do just to her. I'm saying I do to you. Together, we're going to do this. Shortcuts will lead to dead-end streets every single time. Beware of the familiar voice with an unfamiliar spirit. Believe me, I've done this long enough. People will praise you and curse you. Another week later from this, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He's walking in Jerusalem. They're excited. People are saying, Oh, my God, the prophet is here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hosanna. Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. A week later, the same people were saying, crucify him. (laughs) If they can do it to Jesus. (laughs) Y'all ain't going to talk to me today. The sermon is make good judgments. The people that oversmile makes me worry. Because we ain't in Texas. We ain't in Texas. We like it raw around here. <laughs> when Marquis was here, she's from Texas. We told her, Marquis, you're overly nice. I know that's a Texas thing, but it won't work in New England. They'll think you're fake. Because you might give the guys the wrong cues. You're smiling at them, but you ain't feeling them. They're like, yo, there's got to be a chance. I'm just trying to teach his life. Ladies, if you're not into it, you better be like, I ain't into it. Because dudes are like, there's a chance? You ever watch Dumb and Dumber? You're saying there's a chance? I'm just trying to teach life. The sermon helps you. Catch this. I hope you catch this. The sermon helps you to understand what's right and almost right. Oh, man. There's right, and then there's almost. Oh, good enough. That's good enough. Telling you, the goal is to take you away from God's will. Or try to make you as miserable as possible. So you don't enjoy the journey ahead of you. So, 
I got I to gotta run. I got to show you some sweet lies from the enemy. Because it all started with a question in the beginning. Did God really say that? Here's some sweet lies you need to pay attention to. I call them sweet because they, they feel good at first. Sweet lies. No one understands you. You're in this by yourself. No one understands what you're going through. You are a case study. Here's the other one. Nobody's perfect. The first one is to, is to make you a victim. No one understands you. You're a victim. Poor you. It's you against the world. Go get that tub of ice cream. Eat away and watch Gilmore Girls again. Nobody's perfect. You know what that is? Excuses for sin. No one's perfect. Here's my favorite one. Just do you, boo-boo. In other words, make life all about you. Because you're the center of the universe. Matter of fact, God created the universe for you. We just happen to live in it. Here's, a, here's one that I'm seeing used a lot in our church. You need time for yourself. Relax. You don't have time for church and ministry. In other words, can I isolate you so I can, so I can kill you off? So I can kill off your marriage, your children, your legacy? Can I just isolate you? He did that to David. King David, a man after God's own heart. He says, not today, David. You don't have time today. You're tired, man. Look what you've done. You've done so much. You deserve the rest. So they went to do ministry for what their ministry was at that time. And David was like, today, guys, I'm chilling. And then he said to David, you need to go get some fresh air. Goes up. In those days, the roofs are all flat. You can see everybody's house. And then, of course, he places the right woman at the right time. Taking a bath. And David says, man, I'm so tired. I deserve this. Come on. Problem is, the woman wasn't his wife. And that was the beginning of David's legacy. The end. The beginning of the end. Because he decided, take time for yourself. You've done so much. Church and ministry. Can I tell you something? Church and ministry are never the problem. Look at the rest of your schedule. It's not church and ministry, trust me. It's church and ministry are never the problem. Because you have the same amount of time everybody has. What if you cut back on other things? How about cut back on social media? You'll see how much time you have for family. Cut back on Netflix. Cut back on poker night. Whatever. Cut back on all the crap. Don't cut back on church. Don't cut back on on the will of God. Church and ministry are never the problem. Look how much time you spend in church versus what you spend doing other things. So why is it that the first time you get busy or you feel like my family's in trouble, the first thing to go is church? Do you ever discern that and say, wait a minute, is this God? Out of everything in my life, church has got to go. Isn't that insane? You know how many times I've been hearing this lately? Pastor, I need a break from ministry because my family. I'm like, you need to get more into ministry because of your family. You need to get more into God's will 
because of your family. Are we crazy? Pay attention. Why doesn't he tell you, hey, you should quit Zumba night? Quit hanging out with the boys night. Maybe you'll have time for your wife. Quit those things. Don't quit church. Don't quit God's will. Tell you something. Please get this. You deserve this. That's an entitlement mindset. You don't deserve it, Jack. You deserve hell, and you didn't get hell because Jesus is good to you, and he gave you life. And here's one more. This, just this one time. Just take the load off. Just one time. It's one time they got someone to become an alcoholic. It's one time that someone now is in a rehab facility. It's one time they got that person pregnant out of Edward. One time. So it's just one time. It's one time that David, the man who killed Goliath, was killed by lust. One time. Just one time. That's all he needs. The foothold. I'm in. Discern, please. Not just for you, but for the sake of your families. It's one time. Let me tell you when you're most prone to temptation. When you're tired. When you're angry. When you're stressed. Or when you're sad. Pay attention to those moments. When you're tired, you don't make good judgments. You know the most spiritual thing you can do when you're tired? Go to bed. Get a good night's rest. Sleep on it with Jesus. Instead of being up 2, 3 in the morning, you will make really dumb moves at 2, 3 in the morning. Nothing good happens after midnight, I tell young people all the time. (laughs) Nothing good happens after midnight. I'm teaching good today. Where's the worship team? Why are they sitting all the way in the back? Like, who made that decision? No discernment. Why are we sitting all the way in the back? Get over here. What are you, tired or something? Angry? Stressed? Sad? Best time to worship is in those moments. Come worship. We got to fight back, church. Can I go a little bit deeper? Listen, let me give you some tools here. Number one, you got to take authority. You have authority. If you belong to Jesus, you have authority over evil. You don't have to fear evil. And you don't have to give in to evil. The name of Jesus has power over demons. Read your Bibles. Every time a demon saw Jesus, they got scared. The demon of addiction has no power over you. The demon of lust has no power over you. The demon of pride has no power over you. The demon of divorce has no power over you. The demon of confusion has no power over you. The demon of division has no power over you. There's no demon in hell that has power over God's people. And please, begin to doubt your doubts. Did God really say that? Is it really wise for me to leave church? Is it really wise for me to stop serving? Is it really wise for my kids to not grow up under the house of God for the life of... I beg you guys, please, discern. Seeing this too many times. 
We live a good thing to embrace what? And don't you know everything looks good for a season? When you pluck a rose from the main source, it will look good for a couple of weeks. Watch that same rose a month later. It will begin to die. When he said to them, you won't die, they didn't die right away. They died over time. So yeah, you slept with someone who's not your man. It is, nothing happened, but you just sowed a wrong seed. Doubt your doubts. Reverse it. Sometimes God's will is in reverse. Whatever your feeling is telling you, do the opposite of that. Doubt your doubts. Never stop praying. That's your lifeline. Don't pray when you feel like it. Pray because you have to pray. Pray because you know there's a connection you have with God. And for everyone's sake, never stop being around God's people. There's strength in numbers. You might be going through some things, but just being in this environment is going to empower you to overcome. Because if you don't have this environment, you have a different environment that's not going to help you. Because life will go on. And then suit up. Suit up. The Bible says you, got, you have an armor that God has given you. That's where I'm going to end today. Suit up. Ephesians 6 goes on and tells you, about the armor of God. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, put it on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. So that you will be able to be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Suit up. You're in a war. You got to suit up. These are the weapons that God has given you. Don't you know that this is a weapon? This is a weapon. When you're reading this, when you're doing this, you're feeding your soul. And you're strengthening the core of your soul. So you're able to withstand whatever comes your way. Faith is a weapon. Did you notice it's a shield? Faith is what deflects all the lies of the enemy. Don't you know that when you're saved, your mind is a weapon? Because your mind discerns God's will. The righteousness of Jesus in your breastplate is saying, like, it's not you. It's Jesus in you that sustains you. Your shoes. You bring peace to wherever you go. Because you are a warrior now. You're not a wimp. You're not a victim. You are a warrior in the spirit. You are who God says you are. So embrace who God says you are. Stop talking like a victim. Some of y'all, no matter what we say to you, you always have a butt to say back. 
Yeah, but you don't understand. Yeah, but my family. Yeah, but my house. Yeah, yeah. Stop. Are you a child of God or not? Begin to declare by faith the things you want to see. Come on, stay with me. Let's, let's pray together. Come on, you got to get a hold of God's word and say, this is for me, Lord. I am who you say I am. I live behind enemy line, but I'm not defeated. I'm not a victim. Come on, lift your hands to the Lord and receive everything that he has for you. Some of y'all, you've been to church so long that you haven't had a breakthrough in so long because you have settled for church and stopped seeking God. You became a church expert, and that's a problem. No one is an expert in the presence of Jesus. We're all beginners. We all need another push. We all need another moment. We all need to declare again, God, you're the Lord of my life. Come on, lift your hands and begin to declare even when, even when. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to connect with us, you can find us at newlifesouthcoast.com for any further information.